Our gospel reading from the New Testament this morning comes from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. I invite you to turn now there with me in your own text. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to, the pu- to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God, and together we say, thanks thanks be to God. God. Amen. Let us pray together. Holy God, it is a joy to be able to know the lengths you will go for us. And so in this time, open our hearts and minds to be receptive of your message of love and grace to all people, that it might be inscribed upon our hearts, that it might influence our every action, that it might guide our lives in the world. And in this time, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts on your words be good and pleasing and acceptable to you, O God our strength and redeemer. Amen. So, I was asked a question this morning that basically, if you had to say why Christmas is such an important holiday in a few words, how would you put it? And I wonder, how would you put that? What would you say is the reason why Christmas, this holiday that comes every single year, is so important? Why do we make such a big deal out of it? Why do we go through all the great lengths of decorating? Why do we have an entire month of talking about it, leading up to it? Why is it so important? Well, interestingly enough, despite the commercialization of Christmas, most of the products of commercial Christmas have kind of gotten it right. What I mean is, Most of your Christmas movies and Christmas songs, the the things that are going on in the media around this time, do understand, at least to some degree, why this is such an important holiday. For instance, I was talking about The Grinch earlier. It's one of my favorite Christmas movies, Um, and particularly I love the Jim Carrey version, uh, whenever it's like the live action, they're all dressed up and stuff. I just just think it's a hilarious movie and I love it. Um, But in this movie, the uh, Who's of Whoville, who live in this tiny portion of a tiny snowflake, um, are all frantically running about trying to buy uh, gifts for Christmas and trying to celebrate it as big as possible as they do every year. And in the midst of all of this, there is a young little Who girl named Cindy Lou Who, who is questioning, trying to figure out herself why it's such a big deal. Why do people care? Why do we go through these great lengths? And so she starts asking everybody, trying to figure out what's it all about. And even at one point, 
whenever the Grinch, dressed up like Santa Claus, spoiler alert, uh, breaks into her home, she finds him thinking he's Santa, asks, why, why is Christmas so important? What's, Chris, what's the meaning of Christmas all about? And the Grinch responds and says, vengeance! And then turns back and realizes he made a little mistake there, and then says, the presence, of course. And she says, oh, I was worried you might say that. Because she doesn't feel like that's quite good enough, the presence. And so every single Christmas movie builds up to this point that there just has to be something more. It can't just be about the presence. It can't just be about the parties and the decorating and the lights and all of this stuff. There has to be something more. And each of these movies and holiday uh, things in the media all culminate to resolve that Christmas is about two main things. The first, belief. And we see this uh, often, another one of uh, mine and Kristen's favorite Christmas movies is the Santa Claus trilogy that uh, Tim Allen plays in. Um, really, really enjoy those movies. And in this one, the, this trilogy, the main uh, point is belief. You just have to believe that it's true. Believe in the unseen. Just know. Let it be a part of you. And then other Christmas movies, like uh, one of my wife's favorite ones, uh, two of hers are Christmas with the Cranks and also Four Christmases. She loves those two. We have to watch them every year. And in movies like that, we get to see, well, Christmas is about relationships. And that's the second theme. And that's the one that I want us to touch on today, relationships. Christmas is all about relationships. And while, yes, this does mean our relationships with others, our family, friends, significant others, whoever may be in our life. It's most importantly about our relationship with God. You see, with the birth of Christ, this, this tender manger scene, this moment, this right here, we have God displaying perhaps the greatest conundrum in human history. And I say greatest conundrum because it doesn't make sense to me at least. And that is that God wants to be with us. God wants to be with us. And I say it's a conundrum for me because I don't get that. Personally, as, as an individual who consistently turns away from God, rejects God's love and grace at too many points in my life, I don't get why God would keep trying for me. But God does. God doesn't give up. God, in this moment, reveals just how far God is willing to go to prove that God wants to be with us. And so this is where the name Emmanuel comes into play. The name which means God with us. God with us means that love became flesh. We're going to talk about what that exactly means for us today. The first thing I want to point out, though, if you were following along in your text, you may have noticed a slight oddity. Both in the prophet Isaiah uh, and in uh, the gospel writer Matthew, both of them say that the virgin or young, young woman will conceive and bear a son and he shall be named Emmanuel. Also, you might notice that um, that's spelled differently between the Old Testament and New Testament. Don't worry about that. It's not a big deal. Romanization and translation, finicky stuff. What I'm concerned with is that they don't name him Emmanuel. Has anybody caught that? They, they like didn't do that. They kind of missed that point. They name him Jesus, which the angel also tells, tells Mary and Joseph to name him Jesus. 
But they don't name him Emmanuel. And, and this is, I bring this up because names in the Bible are important. Anytime we come across a name in the Bible, we need to pay attention to it. And that's the most frustrating part about reading the Bible, though, isn't it? That's why most people don't want to read in church is because you come across a name that nobody can pronounce and has a lot of those sounds in it. You, you want to stay away from that. But anytime a name comes up in the Bible, it's important. It has significance. It's trying to display some characteristic about that entity. And this is this is true for individuals in the Bible, but also for places and things in the Bible. Everything has a name for some significance. And that name doesn't necessarily mean that's what it's going to be called. That just signifies a characteristic about it. That's why you have so many places in the Bible being called different names, like Israel or Ephraim or the Northern Kingdom. The names are there to signify an important characteristic. And so, Whenever we're talking about the name Emmanuel in reference to Jesus, we are seeing that it's not necessarily referring to what people are going to call him. Nobody else in the rest of his life calls him Emmanuel. It's just a characteristic that we see Jesus is going to embody, that's going to become primary to our understanding of Jesus. So in Christian theology, I'm sorry to use that word theology, it scares some people sometimes, but in Christian theology, we hold this belief that in a moment of divine intervention, God took on human form by being born from the Virgin Mary. And this is right here, this is the event that we celebrate at Christmas time, the birth of Christ, God incarnate. And this is a very important word, incarnate. Incarnate derives from the, the word carnal, which means physical, bodily, fleshly. And whenever we see that in the, in the word incarnate, we're talking about something which was not physical becoming physical. Something which did not have flesh taking on flesh. And so the incarnation of God as Jesus on earth is crucial to our understanding of faith because we believe that this was actually God who took on physical representation in Jesus Christ to be with us. And hold on to that, that God wants to be with us. That's what this is all about. This moment in which God wants to show us just how much God wants to be with us. And I do want to point out, this isn't a new thing for God. This is, it's not just like, you know, at the year zero AD or CE, whichever you prefer, at this moment in human history, God just decided, oh, you know what? I think I'm going to try showing up. I think I'm going to try being with the people instead of just being out here. God has always been making efforts to be with us. From the very beginning in Genesis, we have this image of God actually walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. And we know physically walking because they say that they could hear God walking in the garden. But then, you know, things happened and, you know, there was turmoil and whatnot. And we move on a little bit down the road a couple centuries later. And God's presence is evident in the burning bush with Moses. And Moses has that, has that opportunity to be with God. And then a couple uh, decades, maybe a century after that, as the people of Israel are starting to move, wander about, and try to, trying to settle, the presence of God 
comes into the Ark of the Covenant. And this is, the, this is that Ark of the Covenant that only certain people are allowed to touch it because if you're not one of those certain people and you touch it, you just drop dead. And we could wonder why on earth God just kills people for touching objects, but we'll move away from that for the time being. And then we get a couple centuries later and Israel is established as a kingdom. And what's one of the first things that they want to do? that actually comes a little bit later, they build a temple for God and God's presence resides within the temple in what's called the Holy of Holies. And this is another place that only certain people were allowed to go so far into, uh, otherwise, you know, death by God. And in each of these moments, God is doing whatever possible to be with humanity. But there's a problem, right? There's a problem up to this point because in each time God is trying to be with humanity, the, the holy and the mundane, or the human, don't easily mesh together because we're not very good at the whole holy thing. We make mistakes. We mess up. We're not perfect. And so what does God do next? God makes the most dramatic step possible, the most dramatic step possible to try to be with us. God takes on human form, actually is born in the same way every human is, is born. And as an infant begins to grow, as every human grows and develops and goes through puberty, I mean, I can't, there's probably a reason we don't have many readings on Jesus going through puberty, can you imagine? And, we, and then Jesus grows up and becomes this adult, and God does all of this to be with us, just to be with us. God, in this moment, is making a move back to how things were supposed to be. You see, in the beginning, in Genesis, we have this image of God actually walking with humanity. And God has been trying to get back to that, to get back to a moment of intimacy, of intimacy with humanity, a moment in which God and human beings can touch, can hug, people can cling to this God. People can be present with this God and actually feel and see and understand a little bit better what all this is about. And God does all of this for us. God wants to be with us. And that concept is important for us to take in because for millennia, human beings have been striving to please the gods. Literally millennia, thousands of years, as long as human beings have been able to comprehend existence on earth, they've had some concept of God, some religion that they uh, adhered to because there had to be something more out there and there had to be somebody who allowed the rains to fall and somebody who held the rains up and there had to be somebody who was controlling you know, the life and death of individuals. And so humanity for millennia was doing everything possible to please the gods and display that they are worth being cared for. And so, in fact, most religious practices, uh, you know, thousands of years ago, were to satisfy the gods however possible. Because, if you, because most people had this understanding that gods were just angry beings who, if you did something wrong or foolish, they would just smite you dead, and that was the end of you, and everybody else had to move on in fear for whenever they might be smit smitten, smote, that word. And so it was like God, or the gods, were atop a mountain, 
And humanity, humanity's entire existence, every individual is on a journey to climb this mountain and reach the top. The only problem is you can't reach the top. It's too far away. It's too hard. It's too treacherous. And so people would climb so high and then fall back down. Some people would get further than others, but nobody could ever reach God. And so what does our God do? The unthinkable, the unimaginable, our God steps off the throne and begins walking down the mountain to us and doesn't stop halfway. God comes all the way to the base, to the bottom of the mountain to be where we are and to show us that nothing we can do, that there is nothing we can do to earn God's love because God has been loving us freely from the beginning of time. So it was out of love that God descends, becomes humbled to the point of a suffering human just to be with us, just because we are that loved. That's Christmas, y'all. You know, the, the phrase was coined... Uh, long time ago, the reason for the season. If you want to know the reason for the season, what this is all about, it's love. It is love. In fact, the most well-known Bible verse in all of human history, John 3.16, declares the gospel right there. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes, there's that second theme, belief, I wasn't going to talk about it too much, but there it is. That whoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. God did not come to the world to condemn the world, but to redeem it. The reason for the season is love. That in a moment of human history, God steps into space and time just to be where we are. Just to show us how loved we are. This love of God was made flesh to both show us what love looks like acted out and to show us how loved we are. And so the Christmas movies and songs of today, they get it right in most respects. It is about relationships. Christmas is about relationships and the people around us and togetherness and love. But you see, it wasn't some Hallmark movie that got us there. It wasn't some, some, uh, some Disney movie that showed us the way. It was the love of God made flesh that revealed to us that this holiday that we spend so much time preparing for, that we put so much of our money, time, and effort into making happen, it all began with love made flesh, with a baby, God incarnate. And so... My question for us today, as we prepare to go out into the franticness of whatever this week might hold for you, I want us to ask ourselves, are we, us, right here, right now, are we willing to be love made flesh for the world? Because that's what it comes down to. God loves us so much that God took on human form to come and be with us. And now knowing that love, 
Knowing how significant that love is, we have to ask ourselves, are we willing now to go and be that same love for the world? Because y'all, the world needs a lot more love. There's a lot of hurt out in the world. There's a lot of pain and suffering. There's a lot of sadness and sorrow. There's a lot for us to complain about too. A lot for us to complain about. And the remedy to all of this is that same love that is willing to go leaps and bounds, that is willing to take on humility, utter disgrace even, just to show us how much we matter. And so are we willing to be that same love for our brothers and sisters, all of those around the globe who are looking for answers, maybe even for ourselves in this time? Are we willing to be love made flesh for the world? Because God is calling out in this moment, every single Christmas, we're reminded of the same thing, that God wants to be with us. And God is calling us to go be that presence for others. For while we wait for the second coming of Christ, we ourselves are the vessels in which God is choosing to go and be with people through. We are those vessels, like the Ark of the Covenant, like the temple, except whenever people touch us, they're not gonna die. We are those vessels of love, and so let us go and be love made flesh for the world who needs a God who is with them with us, and let us pray together this morning.